return is very close And so you better be believing that our God is an awesome God Our God is an awesome God Welcome to a service at Holy Life Tabernacle in Brookings, South Dakota. We are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Now let's go into the sanctuary and here's today's message. Say with me, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. I'll never be the same. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name. Amen. Sam says hi. We bless you, Sam. Bless India today, we bless Africa, we best bless uh, Europe, the Middle East, hallelujah in Jesus' name. Thank God for technology, amen, in a good way. <laughs> so many people get caught up in the bad things, but there's good things, we can use it to advance the kingdom uh, for his glory and honor. So, you know, uh, we just love talking about the love of God. And if there's a time where this is so critical, it's really really this time right now in which we live because God is love. If you start talking about his love and his nature, I tell you what, the Holy Spirit's going to show up. He's going to show up in your life. I mean, you know, he's going to show up in your life. He's going to help us. He's constantly changing me, changing how I think, how I treat people, how I act or react. Constantly changing me and adjusting, uh, adjusting my focal point. But just quick review, Mark 12 when Jesus talked about the two great commandments. The two great commandments were to love God and love people. And uh, nowadays, that's Mark chapter 12. If, if uh, you know, the word mandate, the mandate has gotten a bad name, but this is a mandate, all right? This is a mandate from God. I, I'm mandating, love God, love people. The proportion that you love Jesus will be the proportion that you love people. So if you say, oh, I really love Jesus, well, then you should really love people, Okay. So there is, should be a proportional relationship. Uh, and then, because if we, if, cause we don't love God, we have, we're, we're trying to minister out of an empty reservoir. And that, that just never works. So, yeah, there's a proportion there. Then Jesus gave a mandate in John 13, a New Testament command. And he said that, uh, I want you to love one another as I've loved you. So this is another mandate. This is what I want you to do. <laughs> These are good mandates, all right? So it's a commandment. You don't see this often. And when you do see it, you should understand this is very, very important. So, so the, the key is, is I have loved you. So we have to receive his love, soak his love in. Now, r- realize he, he's, he doesn't hold things over you. He, he's not revengeful. He doesn't uh, 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 keep track of all your wrongs. He, he wants to forgive you. Amen. So you have to receive forgiveness and grace and know, okay, thank you, Lord, you're working in me. And his love is, is uh, uh, without, there's no uh, conditions to his love. So I'll love you if. No, there's no love, there's no if there. I'll just love you. 
And that was the, the thing even when God, you know, saying through John and Jesus said, for God so loved the world. He just put it out there. So it's a, a one-way deal. Now, of course, we have to receive it if we're going to follow him, but then we can be free and we can love others. So you can love one another as I have loved you. So I think we always have to remember where we've come from. If we don't remember that, we become self-righteous. Kind of like we've got our lives together and so forth, self-righteous. Well, we don't want to be there. It says, this is how people are going to know that you're my disciples. So if you have this love for each other, people are going to know that. Now, last week then, we were also talking like Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6, of course, uh, Jesus was, or the story goes as far as Herod and his wife Herodias, which was actually first his brother Philip's wife. (laughs) And Herod had a daughter who danced suggestively before the people. And Herod said, I'll give you up to half the kingdom. And Herodias, he hated John the Baptist because he called her out as far as between her and Herod that you're in sin. And so uh, uh, she wanted the head, or told her daughter, ask for the head of John the Baptist. Now, you have to understand, this is the Roman Empire. So whenever you read the New Testament and so forth, you have to this, realize these are, they're living in tough circumstances. And Herod's dad was the one who slaughtered hundreds of children after Jesus was born. No repercussions, just slaughtered him. Just got rid of him because he thought he heard a king was going to be born, so let's just kill all these kids. Unbelievable. And so, so they make the request to Herod. He sends an executioner to execute John the Baptist in jail, beheads him. They bring his head on a platter. So you, you can imagine this, this is kind of a gross situation, but here's a big party. Everybody's been drinking, everybody's celebrating and so forth. And here comes the platter, bloody platter, head on top the platter, presented to this girl, probably a teenager. And she goes and presents, gave it to the girl. She goes and presents it to her mother. And her mother can feel like, I got him. We got rid of him. So when the disciples heard this, they came and took up his court. And God bless the disciples to go, to go back to the palace, so forth, to claim his body, to say, we were his friends, we want his body. And they went and buried him. So with this, you know, you have to, you have to think about this. See, see, how would Jesus react? How should we react? And I said last week, well, how would people react if Billy Graham was executed? If he was executed in a public way, in a public manner? Well, of course, you know, there's out, there would be tremendous outrage. And there's tremendous outrage now about all kinds of things that really probably don't matter to a hill of beans. But, but here's Jesus. How would you react? What would Jesus say? That's, that's the question. What would Jesus say to Herod? What would Jesus say to his disciples? What, what's, co- what's going to come out of Jesus' heart? And, of course, the answer to that is he said nothing. He said nothing. He did not address Herod. He did not uh, deride the Roman Empire. He did not turn around and say, we will have their heads now. He did not point a finger. He was not angry. When we get angry, and I'm talking about angry out of the spirit, when we get angry, we're going to say things that we really don't want to say. Right? They tried to get Jesus to talk a lot, thinking, you know, the proverb says, in the multitude of words, there doesn't lack any sin. All right? Get him talking. Get him talking. He'll say something. He'll trip himself up. And to this point, then, they came to, the, to Jesus and, and uh, told him what happened. And he said nothing. 
He said, let's go away to a private place. And from there, they fed the thousands again. Just continued on in ministry, which is, wow. I, I look at that and I think, oh, Lord Jesus, help me. <laughs> help me to respond like you would respond. Let's go to another one quickly. In the book of Luke, Luke chapter Luke chapter 9, of course, so the disciples, Jesus is going to, going to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to the cross. He's already prepared for that. They've had the Mount Transfiguration. They've talked about what's going to happen there. And he's in, he's in the process of going to Jerusalem. He has to pass through Samaria. Samaria and there's a village there. And they said, well, let's, let's stay over in this village in Samaria. And so the messengers went before his face, messengers, disciples, they entered the village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. It could possibly have been Sychar, which was the same, same Samaritan village as in John. John 4, when Jesus ministered to the woman at the well, and he stayed there two days and ministered the whole town. But now his, his point as, as a Jew going to the cross, they, whoever this village, they would not receive him. They didn't want him there in their village. And so you go to the next verses there in Luke chapter 9. He didn't receive Jesus. His disciples, James and John, said, Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them like Elijah did? Now, now keep in mind, this is John the Beloved. This is John, lovey-dovey, you know. John, the guy on Jesus' breast. John, you know, this and that. And this is the same John that says, Hey, let's burn him up. Let's kill him. Now, that shows what can be in our hearts. Because, because, because uh, undoubtedly, probably some of the, just the leaders, lots of villages, you'll just in, interact with the leaders of the village. And so the leaders said, no, no, we don't want him here. And they, got, they took on offense to the point, they said, you know, Elijah called down fire. Let's call down fire and, and consume them. <laughs> so so we, got, we got lovey-dovey John wanting to kill the whole village, men, women, and children, get rid of them, burn them up. They're followers of Jesus. They're quoting the Bible. They're quoting a major prophet of the Bible, Elijah, what Elijah did. So they're biblical. They got all these things in order. But they were wrong. And Jesus turns around in the next verses here. So Jesus turns to them. And this is a very strong thing. You can imagine the rebuke from Jesus Christ. He rebukes them. You don't know what manner of spirit you are of. Now, this is not the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to say this. It's an evil spirit. Anything that wants to destroy lives is an evil spirit. The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, I don't care. I don't care if, if whoever the person is, if, the, if, the person, if they're prophesying or speaking that God's going to kill them or strike them, that is an evil spirit. Jesus said, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of. Pretty huge deal here, you know. New Testament draws a line between the old and the new. Old Testament, okay, we have a holy God, we got sinful people, there's no buffer. New Testament, Christ has come redeeming us through his blood. Now God interacts with the entire world through Jesus Christ, through that bloodline. The fact is, he paid for everybody's sin. So anybody you can think of, their sin was paid for. doesn't mean they're going to heaven, they have to receive Christ. But the sin is paid for, the price is paid, if they'll receive him. Wow. I just think, oh Lord, help me. So, so Jesus, 
Jesus rebuked them. You don't know what spirit you're of. And again, understand, they've been around Jesus a while already now. Because, see, now he's going to Jerusalem. So they've been around over a couple years, all right? So they're hanging around Jesus. They see how he interacts. And this is what comes out of them. And Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Remember, the thief, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life. And now he's not talking about the people that are just his people, the people that are good or whatever. No, he's talking about everybody. Say everybody. God loves people. So we see how our nature can be in this reference. We see how Jesus' nature is in this reference. And of course, we have choices then to make. Who do we want to be like? <laughs> I always think, boy, it'd be great to be an apostle or apostle John. But in this case, it's like, no, I don't want to be the apostle John. <laughs> Amen. So we want to be like Jesus. Incidentally, Jeannie sits in the front row. She interacts with people all over the world. And so as people, we have Facebook Live. Thanks for joining us. We have Facebook Live, and people might make comments and so forth, send different things in and stuff. She, on her phone, is interacting, people in whole other continents, interacting with them as far as the message. And they may say, she may say something about the message. Somebody else says something else, and there's interaction, which is kind of neat. Amen. So ministry goes on right here using technology because, because one of the things the Lord has said is you're challenging people's theology. You're challenging people's theology. All of us grew up religious, whatever. We get saved. But let's face it, most of the world yet, even most Christianity, can be harsh. So we're challenging theology. What does it mean? Challenging the way people believe. And then consequently, the way we interact with the world around us. Now, how do you challenge it? Well, you challenge it with the Word of God, right? You challenge theology with the Word of God. Amen. One of the things that, that was said last week and so forth, if the world hears Christ, if this kind of Christianity, it'll be the way God programmed it. Well, that's true. That's true. You're exactly right, Albert. If they hear it the way this is, then it's going to be the way God programmed it to be. God did not program Christianity to be harsh. I have been in contact with many other religions. They are harsh. Let us not be in that camp. Let us not be in that same camp. Now, New Testament today. Let's go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. In the old... Times past, God's at various times, various ways, in time past, spoke to the fathers by the prophets. Old Testament. So Old Testament, we have, we have God anointing men and women. We have prophetic people that are declaring God's word, God's voice, what God is saying. All right? Amen? Amen. Now let's fast forward to the New Testament. Now the New Testament, God has poured out his spirit on all flesh, but especially believers. Hallelujah. Now you have resident in you the Holy Spirit. Amen. Old Testament wasn't that way. Old Testament, a few people anointed and everybody's saying, what's the prophet saying? What's the prophet saying? Amen. You have people today say that. What's the prophet saying? And I'm thinking, Old Testament. You're living in the old. 
And this is so normal in Christianity and so normal in denominations and so forth that, that people are still stuck in an old pattern. Old Testament. Old Testament, you had one person get up and declare the word of God. New Testament, we equip people to do ministry. We equip people to do ministry. Old Testament, let's say it this way. The pastor, he's the only one who prays for people. The pastor's anointed, he prays for people. I go to places all the time. I see spirit-filled people. It's only going to be the man of God, bless God. He's going to get down there and pray for everybody. I've been in ministers' conferences. Only the man of God going to do that. And I'm thinking, look at all these ministers. Ministers! Oh, no, they're not going to lay a hand on anybody. Because their Old Testament model, it's only the chief one does it. That's all Old Testament. That's why our church is different. We model it after the New Testament. That's, I'm a senior leader. Yes, I am. However, we have many people lead. We train and equip people to lead, to speak, to minister, to hear the voice of God. That's why this church is different. We're just following it after the Bible. It isn't like, oh, wow, how did they ever get that? Just read your Bible. It's not complicated. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not complicated. But people want to follow the old because it puts power in that leader's hands. And leaders feel emboldened. I hear the voice of God. I'm I'm the uh, pastor, the prophet. Uh, Yeah, and so all these other people hear the voice of God too. Turn to your neighbor and say, you should hear the voice of God. You don't have to run to somebody. You don't have to run to somebody to get a word. I've got a book full of words. Right? Get a book full of words. Just, just, just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of wonderful, wonderful promises that are for us today. So Old Testament, Old Testament now, God spoke with the prophets. New Testament now in these days, in these last days, which we're in today, he's spoken to us by his son, Jesus Christ. Whom he is appointed heir of all things, to whom also he made the worlds. The word of God. The word worlds are created through the word of God. So these days he's speaking to us through Jesus and his word. Yeah. New Testament. It's a different approach. Amen? Yeah. It's a different approach. So therefore, therefore, we all want... Does God still... There are still prophets. Of course there are. But also we want to hear from the Lord ourselves. This is huge in the body of Christ, because when you have, say there's a prophetic conference. We've been to many prophetic conferences. We've ministered at prophetic conferences. But you have many people there, there. They want to get a word. They want to get a word. They want to get a word. And it's like, well, here's a word. If you want it, you can claim it. You can have it. You can make it yours. You can say yes to it. You can stand on it. You can walk on it. You can live in it. We like, the human nature likes the spectacular. Oh, I don't know. I just got goosebumps. Oh, the lights dimmed and flickered. Might have been a wind outside or something, you know. Thing. An eagle flew over the car. An eagle flew over the car. What does that mean, you know? You know, we've heard, you know, you be in the ministry... 40, over 40 years, you know, you hear a lot of things. We've been around a lot of places. We've traveled the world. There's not a new thing, folks. There's not a new, these aren't new things. Isn't that right? Let, let me quick, 
quick rabbit trail here, and I'll come to this another time. But let me just say this. You know how the world denominations are changing, and we have to help out gay rights, and, you know, be contemporary in society, and so Folks, this isn't anything new. See, again, what does this tell me? Nobody knows their Bible. What did you have? What did you have? Of course, Sodom, Old Testament. You had, you had gay, lesbian, transgender issues all through the Old Testament. But Rome, Rome is evil. Folks, this is an evil empire. They slaughtered people. They killed people. They were, they were destructive. They were immoral. Immoral. That is why Paul wrote the letter to the Romans chapter 1. But you have Americans especially, oh, well, we have to be contemporary. We've got to work, work with all this like it's a brand new thing. It's nothing new. So when I hear that, I just tell it, well, they haven't read their Bible. Amen. Haven't read their Bible. They don't know anything about the way history was. So we live in this New Testament now, and God is speaking to us through Jesus and the Word. Let's go to Galatians in a second. Galatians chapter 1. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who's called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Now, Paul is writing to the church in Galatia. Notice what he's saying. He says, I'm, I'm surprised. Okay, so we get saved. Isn't it wonderful? You should remember your salvation or conversion. And remember the presence and the peace. And folks, I'm not over that. I love it. I want to live in that presence and peace all the time. But notice what he says here. Marvel, you turned away to a different gospel. Now, the different gospel is that you were called to the grace of Jesus Christ. You were called to grace and not judgment. He says this isn't a different, another gospel. There's one gospel, Jesus Christ. But there are some who trouble you who want to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pervert means they want to change it. Means they want to change it. So we're called into this grace of Christ. Hallelujah. But as soon as you get out of grace and into judgment, now you've perverted it. Now you've changed it. So you have some Christians here in Galatia. You know, now their lives kind of been cleaned up and so forth. And now they're making edicts about it. You need to straighten up here and you shouldn't do that. And you shouldn't do this. Now they're making judgments to all the other people. They say, wait, wait, wait a minute. We're called into the grace, not into the judgment of Jesus Christ. You're changing. You're changing the gospel. There's one gospel, but you're changing this now. I've been in churches so cold and you could skate out of them. There's. Cold and judgmental, and if you came in, people look at you, you know, and kind of sad, right? How we treat people is important. Our kids night out, we have people that come who are homosexuals. We have people that come that are tattooed every place you can think of. And how do we treat them? We love them. We go and have conversations. We visit. We talk. You know what I mean? You could talk to people who look like they fell, fell face first into their tackle box, you know, with piercings and so forth. But God loves them, right? He loves everybody. There's Christians like that. Could have piercings everywhere. Jesus always looked at people's hearts. So way beyond the skin, way beyond all those things, he looked at people's hearts. He looked at who they were as a person. And that's how he treated him consequently. Now, the next verses here are this. It says, if we or an angel from heaven. So people can say, an angel, an angel came and spoke to me. And that always sounds like, ooh. 
Someone said, God gave me a vision. Oh, I had a dream last night. Oh, okay. But if it's another gospel, then this gospel of grace, Paul said, let him be accursed. As, and we have children, so now I say again, if anyone preaches another gospel to you, then that you receive, let him be accursed. Accursed doesn't mean, not, they're not sending him to hell, just say, that's just what, something you want to avoid. If you hear an angel, a vision, a dream, or all those things, and they're saying something that's contrary to the grace of Jesus Christ, you should avoid it. Now, why is this important? I mean, people think, well, these are supernatural things. Maybe. William Branham was a tremendous minister of God. William Branham did not know how to read. And so consequently, he didn't really know the Bible as itself, but he started interacting with angels and so forth in good ways. And so his ministry developed and there was many healings and so forth like that. But at some point in time in William Branham's life, the angels changed. And so the people coming to give him messages were messages not according to the Bible. And so William Branham went off the rails in his teaching and preaching to say and do many other things that weren't right. If something spectacular happens to you, wonderful. But always know this, it should line up with the Bible. So, so I've had dreams and realized, uh, what I ate. Wasn't a good dream, you know. And, and I've had, I've, I, in our ministry, we've had angels come overseas that were in our meetings and so forth. And we've showed that picture of the angel in the meetings. You're talking to the Holy Spirit. It's like, wow. Had an angel come after a service telling me everything that people, what was wrong with people as we prayed for people. It was like, wow. We showed pictures of that. We showed video of that, of that angel. An Indian man, young Indian man who wasn't in the meetings, who, who I had never met before, who spoke perfect English with no accent, which we can't find there. Very few people speak English, let alone accents, you know, and he knew everything about everybody. But an angel can't pray for the sick. Angels can't deliver the gospel message. If, and if those were the case, why would God need us? No, we were commissioned to do that. We were commissioned to do those things. And so even if an angel comes and so forth, you should check anything out back into the New Testament. So what happens lots of times when the gospel is perverted so forth, ministers put fear on people to control them. Many people, many times ministers, they, they want, of course, you want people in the church, you want givers, you want people to do this and that. But if they leave, they can't leave this place. You can't leave, boy, you'd be wrong with God. Jesus never did that, do you know that? Consequently, we don't do that. If someone wants to leave, you can leave. Jesus looked at the disciples at one point when all these disciples, hundreds of people left him. And he just looked at him and said, do you want to go too? It's up to you. He gave them the door. He gave them the opportunity. We'll give people the opportunity. You can go any place you want. Nobody's got a corner on the Bible or truth. Nobody does. So you live in a place then where there's freedom. Rather than putting fear on people. Many places around the world, people, if you don't do this, something will happen to you. That's fear. Fear controls people. Whatever you're afraid of will control you. Whatever you're afraid of in your life will control you. Don't ever allow a minister to do that. Shouldn't do that. All right? So from there, let's go to Luke chapter 6. Now, this is just beautiful. Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking to the people. 
The disciples are listening. Jesus is hoping they're getting the message. And of course, later had to straighten out James and John a little bit. But he said, Jesus said, I want you to hear this. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who despitefully use you. Now, two verses, pretty concise. What's not clear about this? What's not clear about what we should do for our enemies? Now, enemies can be someone you disagree with, someone you don't like, someone you think it can be, it could be anything. What's not clear about this? Jesus said, I want you to love your enemies. Now, this is, what he, this is what he lived out in his life. He was this example. He loved people. He loved the Pharisees. He loved Herod. The executioner, I said last time, who knows if that executioner maybe got saved. He's doing his duty as a soldier like, John, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And John probably said, I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. Jesus loved people. It wasn't like, you know, hey, there are going to be three darker shades of hell for you. I'll see, I'll get you. It wasn't that way at all. He wasn't that way. You know, he had the religious people crucify him. He had the Romans who did the dirty work. He loved people. So Jesus said, I want you to love your enemy. Think about someone you don't like, someone you disagree with or whatever. And Jesus said, I want you to love that person. I want you to do good to those that hate you. And more and more in the body of Christ, we'll have people that will hate us because of Jesus Christ. That's just the way it goes, all right? I want you to bless those who curse you. There'll be people that will curse Christians, and that happens already around the world. And I want you to pray for those who despitefully use you. Someone who manipulates or whatever, I want you to, I want you to pray for them. So, so these, are, these are all adjectives. Adjectives, love, do good, bless, pray. These are all adjectives. These are things I want you to do toward people that you really dislike. Gulp. Well, that's assignment. Well, that's an assignment, right? So we go farther down the chapter, and Jesus repeats this message. Now, when something's repeated, you better take heed to it. Especially repeated by Jesus in the same chapter, all right? So you really better take heed to it. So verse 35, Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good, lend, hoping for nothing in return. Your reward shall be great. Here's the goal. You will be the sons of the Most High. Now, that is the goal. The goal as a Christian is to be like Jesus Christ. That's my goal. He's my, he's my model. He's the chief shepherd. He's, he's the footsteps we want to walk in. That's the goal. Amen. And so he adds more detail now, but he's repeating. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to do good to them. Therefore, when I pray, I'm not praying, Lord, get them. I'm praying blessings. Can you understand that? So I'm praying blessings on people. Now, see, in the natural, people say, well, they're not even saved. Well, this or that. No, I pray blessings. I pray they get saved. That's what we pray. We're praying good things. Lord, I pray they get saved. I pray they hear the gospel. I pray you would visit them in the night. I pray you would touch their heart. I pray they would change. But we're speaking something that's good. We're speaking a blessing. So, he, this is twice repeated. Very important, like a double anointing. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to do good. I want you to be like the Most High God, your Father. So, this is the example that He gives for us. All right? Amen? Now, notice what He says in the next verse. 
For your father, he's kind to the unthankful and to the evil. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, Lord, help me. Because <laughs> I'm not, it, we all have a natural man. Your natural man is totally opposite of the spiritual that God wants. Totally opposite. They're not in the same ballpark. And so the old man must die, crucified with Christ. We're raised in Christ that we begin to live like him, to be like he is. Who is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. I'm thinking, oh Jesus, thank you for your help. (laughs) He is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. He is kind to the evil. This message should get out in the body of Christ. You can share this with somebody. You can send it wherever you want in the world. It doesn't matter. But it'll bless somebody. Jesus is kind to evil people. Jesus is kind to murderers. Jesus is kind to people that do bad things. Jesus is kind. Settled. There's no buts there. But, 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 but. You didn't understand. No, no. There's no buts. There's no clause. There's no addendum to that. Now, how do we change? How do we change? Randon, come on up here a second. So, Randon would naturally be left-handed, right? So, left-hand would be your dominant hand, right? Okay. So, if we're playing basketball, if we're playing basketball, you scout a team, right? So, if you scout a team, if I'm going to play Randon, follow me here. If I'm going to play Randon, and this is his dominant hand, then I'm going to overplay his dominant hand and make him use... His weaker hand. Which I can. I can which he can do. <laughs> and how did that happen? Practice. Practice. So how, if you have a dominant hand, mine's right, how does my left hand also become equally uh, uh, skilled with the right hand? By use it. Use it. Did it happen overnight? No. Did you work on it probably for years? Yeah. And if you're still out there with the kids now because he's doing some coaching, would you still work on it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So, so. The scouting report, you overplay their dominant hand to make them use their weaker hand. Every game, you see it, every game. And some kids, some kids are very good, They've, they practice. Another kid's like, all of a sudden, you know, they can't handle the ball. Turnover, 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 turnover. And you got them. You got them. All right, quick basket, quick basket, quick basket. See it all the time. How do you, how do you get your, your weak hand to become stronger? Practice, practice, practice. My right's, my right's dominant. I had to practice the left. I had to practice shooting left. I had to practice to close my eyes, bounce it off my foot, kick it on the wall, all these things. Practice, practice. Be on, I remember in a big game, being on the court, I got the out-of-bounds pass. I took the ball like this. And I bounced once with my left hand. It went right off my leg, 10 feet out of bounds. The other team, they're cheering, they're shouting. What do you do? You go back and use it again because you have to, right? But see, Christians hear this, and Christians have read this. Christians know the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, you know, and all the things in genuflect. They can do anything. But still go out and hate people. And still go out and treat people poorly. Still go out and they're angry. And they're upset. You can hear this. That doesn't mean you'll do it. You can know this. Doesn't mean you'll do it. It means you practice, practice, 
practice, practice. For me, left hand, left hand. First, initially, I'm getting the feel of it, looking at it. Left hand, left hand, but again and again and again. And then guess what? You get into a game, and now there's pressure. And the temptation is to do what? I'm going to look at that hand, which will slow you down. How do you get over that? You practice it. You experience it. You do it day in and day out. You work at it. You discipline. You do it again. You do it again. You do it again. Where pretty soon, your left is like your right. In other words, now you've got it. The disciples heard this same message. That's a good word, Jesus. I really like that too. Let's go have some. Let's go have some rice or eat something. You know, that's a good word. Though. I really like it. We should like those people. And then you get down the road a year or so. Let's just burn up that village. Let's just burn them up. Uh, I think I think we've got a little growing here. We got to use that left hand more. This is what we're all faced with. Your old nature is more evil than you realize. Your old nature is more harsh than you realize. So unless you're sitting and hearing and trying to soak in what this means, your old nature is still going to dominate. I've shared this message around the world. I've shared it in India. I've shared it in Africa. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've shared it in the United States. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Living it is another thing. The nature of God is love, period. I want you to be like my father. He is kind. This is a, this is a thing in your, in your Bible. You can post it, underline it in red, but post it on your fridge, post it on your bathroom, <clears throat> bathroom wall, post it in your car. This is a statement of truth. And there's no way around it. There's no, I heard the Lord say, though. No, forget it. You didn't hear the Lord say. But I had this word from God. No, if it's, if it's, if it's judgmental, tearing people down, you didn't get a word from God. He is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Wow. Oh, Lord, I just think, oh, my goodness. Now, it gets better. Next verse. He says, this is a mandate now. It's a mandate. Be merciful. Turn to your neighbor and say, be merciful. Just as your father is merciful. So now, he wants you to be kind, unthankful and evil. He wants you to be mercy. He wants you to show mercy. You're giving out grace to people. As your father is merciful. Huge. Right? It's Huge. Let me change the name. Let me change the name of a story. There's, we have friends around the world who do ministry work, and some are in very, very difficult places. So much the so we cannot post their stuff out there. We cannot share it with you because it's very, very private. If it ever got in the wrong hands, they would be dead the next day. They live around. They live in Muslim situations. They're ministering. <clears throat> they speak fluent Arabic. Do tremendous works for God. It, it's just. It's just amazing. I'm humbled just to know of them. And so years ago, and I'll just call the guy Philip. Years ago, a neighbor fell and broke his leg. A Muslim man broke his leg. And so they took care of this man. Medical, didn't, not a lot of medical care. Helped splint his leg. Helped take care of him. 
help provide for his needs, help provide for the family, do all kinds of things until this leg healed. Okay? Till this leg healed. Took a long time. Till the leg healed. Fast forward several years. Okay? Different location. Fast forward several years. And my friend is out in a rural area and he's captured by the terrorist group. So he's captured by Hezbollah. And Hezbollah, they blindfold him. They, they slap him and so forth. His hands are tied behind his back. And he's paraded off, put in a vehicle, paraded off, and he comes to the headquarters of Hezbollah in this region. And when he comes to the headquarters in this region, he's thrown down and so forth. And the commander comes in the room. The commander of this terrorist group comes in the room, commanding all these officers, all these other people. He comes into the room, and he sits down, he looks at him. They take off the blindfold, and he says, Philip? And Philip looks at him, and he calls him by name. And it was the man that years before that had fallen and broken his leg that they had nursed back to life, to health, and taken care of him and his family. And the commander said, let him, let him take off those bands. Don't hurt him. Don't touch him. He is a friend of mine. David thought, it's his last day. Philip thought, last day. He comes ready to die. He said to me one time, he says, I'm ready to die, but I'd really like to live. I'd like to keep living. And so Philip thought this was it until he sees this man and the man sees him. And everything changed. And they begin to have conversations. He says, how is your family? How's this and that? How are things going? And so forth. And he takes him, escorts him to the door. And he said, bring him back to his place. The love that he had demonstrated, the love that he had demonstrated was paid back to him with his own life. Jesus said, I want you to be kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Jesus said, I want you to be merciful because I am, my father is. And he gives us a mandate. These are, these are huge things in our personal lives. Quickly, a second. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 says just some things. He says, bless those that persecute you. Notice those word. Bless and curse not. So let's just say for enemies. Bless and curse not. Anybody that you perceive as an enemy that's wrong, they're 100% wrong, and they might be 100% wrong. And yet Jesus said, I, I want you to bless them. But that doesn't make sense, Lord. <laughs> that's what I would have said. That doesn't make sense. Uh, that's what I want you to do. Folks, I've had these things different times in my life, faced with stuff, and I realized my flesh is like, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. And it's like the Lord said, well, it's up to you. I'll wait for you. That's the way it is, though. I'm not changing it for you. You're not an exception to my word. You're just going to have to get over this and do it. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15. This is a verse uh, uh, Samson shared last week when he was up here. See that none of you repays another with evil for evil. Evil happens. Evil has happened, will happen, so forth, right? But don't, you don't repay evil. You don't pay wrong for wrong. Always aim to show kindness. 
Always aim to show kindness. Why? Because he said to do that. Right? He said to be kind. It's a mandate. I, 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 I have the Holy Spirit always, you know, I just, life is so good and it's so much better even now that I'm less angry, now that I'm less this or that, you know, judgmental. Life is really good. It's really good. So you don't repay evil for evil, wrong for wrong. You aim to show kindness and seek to do to one another and kind of seek to do good to one another and to everybody, everybody. I'm seeking to do good. How can I do good? What can I do good for? Now, if I know that person near me, I can try to do something. But sometimes we don't even know people and they upset us. So we can pray, though, and bless them. Say bless them. We don't know things, but we can pray they get saved. Lord, bless them. Lord, touch their life, touch their family, touch their spouse, touch their kids. Bless them. That's a whole lot better than me being eaten up with stuff. Show kindness. Write down your notes. Show kindness to everybody. Now, I'm... There, there's no there's no illusion here that we're going to read this, read these scriptures today and just think, hey, we got it. What? Got that word. No, you better go out and practice, 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 practice. Using your weaker hand, using the new nature of Christ to become more like him. Spirit man. Well, let's go one more reference in Luke here. One more reference in Luke. So we come down here and Jesus says, don't judge You'll not be judged. Don't condemn not. You'll not be condemned. Forgiven, you'll be forgiven. You know, Christians can be the meanest people. You know, self-righteousness is like, you know, I got it all together. How come you don't have it together? How come you're making that mistake? How come you're an unwed mother? How come you got a divorce? How come you struggle with that addiction? You should get it together. How come you don't have a job? And you can look at people through your eyes, the lens of this self-righteousness, and it casts down a shadow. It doesn't edify. It doesn't help someone. It doesn't bring them up. It puts them down. Jesus wants us to lift people up, right? Amen. Amen? Amen? Let me give you a quick story. So many years ago, there was a man in Kansas City named Ernie Gruen. Ernie Gruen was a guy who was a Baptist minister, fundamental Baptist minister, who got filled with the Holy Ghost. And, and in his Baptist church, people started to come in the droves. This is the 1960s. I said to Ernie, why did they come? You know, because hippies came and so forth. So people were on the floor and all that, sitting, sitting in front. And he said, I guess because they were loved. That was his conclusion. It wasn't because his messages were so great or this or that. And out of that, for many of these young hippies who got saved and spirit-filled and so forth, they made an invitation, go tell your mom and dad and so forth. Well, a lot of these kids, their parents were doctors and lawyers and different people in Kansas City and so became a big revival. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people got saved. And their church was established, Full Faith Church of Love, which I first came in contact with in 1983 because one of our people, I'm going to talk fast here so we can go, but one of our people who was an ROTC, head of the ROTC here, went to Leavenworth, Kansas, the War College, and went to that church, drove down to that church in Kansas City. And so that's how I became acquainted with them in 1983. 5,000 people would come every Sunday and hear the word of God. 
And so, so Ernie, uh, Ernie was one of those guys that he was a catalyst. In 1977, they had the Charismatic Renewal Conference in Kansas City at Arrowhead Stadium. And Ernie was one of the chief architects for this, planning and so forth. And in 1977, they had 40,000 people in Arrowhead Stadium worshiping the Lord, exalting the King of Kings for four days. Four days in Arrowhead Stadium. Arrowhead Stadium was new then those days. And so tremendous things happened, and they happened across denominations, and they happened across people and all kinds of things like that. It was it was really a blessing. Ernie knew he was on the who's who of lists. Or Roberts was his personal friend, or John Hagee was his personal friend, or Derek Prince would be in his house, staying in his house, or Bob Mumford, or anybody you could think of like in those days in the charismatic renewal. All were friends. All had been there. They were that way. And so late in Ernie's life, late in Ernie's life, Ernie had a moral discretion, and, and he felt bad about it, and he resigned. Still with his wife, all that, but he resigned. And because of that, because of that, here, here all these people knew Ernie, all these people knew Ernie, but everybody forsook him because he made a mistake. And Christians, Christians, you know, can be some of the worst. And so Ernie's out of no man's land. Now, I didn't know all these other things. I didn't know about some of that stuff. But I'm praying in my office, and my thought was, you know, we have pastor's conference, so let's call, let me call Ernie Gruen. I said it to Jeannie, and she said, wow, yeah, boy, you think he'd even come here, you know, a little tiny place, you know, and stuff. And uh, we've seen Full Faith Church of Love, dynamic ministry. And so I called Ernie, got his number, called the number, rang, rang, rang leave a message, left my name, called again, rang, 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 leave a message, left my name, called, called again, leave a message. So finally, one of these times when I called after several calls, Ernie answers the phone and he said, who are you? I said, well, you don't know me. And I pastored South Dakota, gave him my name. And he said, why are you calling me? I said, because I was praying and I thought of you and I thought of you maybe coming here for one of our conferences. He said, what do you know about me? I said, not a lot. <laughs> I said, some, you know, some history and so forth. And he said, oh, let me pray about it. Hung up the phone. A few weeks later, we talk again, and Ernie said, we visit some more on the phone. He said, how come? I said, great. 2002, he comes here to the conference, preaches and so forth like that. His wife, Dee, is here. Since that time, we stayed in their house many times in Kansas City, met all kinds of people and so forth. Uh, really quite remarkable. Before Ernie died, before Ernie died, and later in his life, he said, I want you to preach my funeral. And I said, well, Ernie, you're not going to die right now. You're not going to die. He said, I understand, but I want you to preach my funeral. And so before, before he died, we were in Kansas City the night he died, and we went in the room, Jeannie and I, standing, had a bed, bed in, their, in their hospital bed in their house, and Jeannie and I went in, and he said, thank you. He kissed Jeannie on the forehead. He said, thank you. And we blessed him. We walked out in the front room. His family is there and so forth. And his wife said, now you know you're preaching the funeral. I said, yeah, I do. And Ernie died that night. And so, <laughs> what do they need, folks? <laughs> so we, uh, we come to Kansas City. Ernie had, Ernie had set up 68 missionaries, paid full-time in 68 different nations. 
at a private burial. First, I'm at the burial, and here's all these people who I, the who's who of whatever, you know, of people at this burial when we bury him in the cemetery. 68 missionaries. People come up, Ernie, just my life was changed, and we're missionaries in this place, and we've been there for 20 years, and we're missionaries over here, and we've been there for 25 years, and we this and that. Lives are changed. Thousands of people came. Who's who? I'm sitting, I'm sitting like at this one visitation. I'm, I'm just sitting, you know, on the front row, little mouse in the corner. Nobody knows me. But here's who's who of people. People pastored of churches of thousands coming in, greeting Dee, her family, and so forth. And, of course, eventually it happened at the, it happened at the cemetery and it happened at the visitation. Who's preaching the funeral? For Ernie Gruen, who's preaching the funeral? And Dee would say, Dave Kaufman's preaching the funeral. And they'd say, uh, who's he? And they said, he's a minister from South Dakota that loved us. That loved us. They came every conference after that. But he preached one. But he'd be here every conference, every conference, and soak in love. They stayed at her house. We'd been, we'd been to their house many times. Soaking in love. Soaking, he was restored in ministry. Later in his life, people would call him, say, Ernie, I was in his house. Ernie, we want you on the platform for this. We got Richard Roberts coming. We got the heads of this revival. We want you to be on the platform. I said, well, you're going to go, aren't you? And he said, no, they don't need me. They don't need me. And then he said, let's go out for barbecue. Okay, you know. He just, he was as humble as could be. He responded to love. And we had a celebration of his life in a big church in Kansas City, west side of Kansas City, celebrating his life, and it all came down to love. So much of the body of Christ had thrown him under the bus. Ah, we're not, no, we're not going to get together. No, no, we're going to do that. But he responded to love. To this day, we visit with his wife. She prays for us all the time. Love is powerful, folks. It's the most powerful force in the universe. God is love. I can't emphasize it enough. It's the thing that will not only change us, and we must be changed. Just say with me. Say, change me, Lord. Change me to be like you. (laughs) Because we have to. If the world is going to see Jesus, any place in the world, in any continent, any country, if the world's going to see Jesus... They've got to see Jesus in us. They've got to feel the love of Jesus in us, coming to them. And then many people will lower their barriers and say, what must I do to be saved? Let's just stop there. Let's lift our hands a second. Lord, thank you for loving us. (laughs) Wow. Thank you. For loving us. Loving us. Grace to us. Mercy to us. Lord, we just soak it in. Grace and mercy. And Lord, we thank you for helping us to love others. Help us, Lord. Help us to counteract the old and to be born new. To be new. New man. New nature. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Let me quick go to the scripture. Let's, Luke chapter 6. Let's go back to that second. Luke 6, verse 38. Let me just say this. Luke 6, verse 38. And Jesus said this. This is, this is what everybody says about an offering. But it has nothing to do with money. 
nothing to do with money. Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over into your bosom. For the same measure that you, that you use, it will be measured back to you. Has nothing to do with money. Give, love, 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 not money, money, money. So most of the time, nine, in the top 90 percentile, when I hear this, it's on an offering about money, and the context is about love. Give, love, and it shall be given back to you. So let's put our hands again. Lord, thank you for this. We want to sow it in our lives, in our homes, with our spouse, with our children, our grandchildren, on our jobs. We want to sow love. We want to give, give, give. We want to be completely generous with your love, Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. Let's thank the Lord. Amen. 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 Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Thanks for being here today. Feel free to share it with somebody else. Amen. Tell others about Jesus, how good he is. Amen. Thank you for listening to this inspirational message. We trust that you were encouraged in your faith. For additional information or resources, please contact the church at 605 692 4616. You can email us at holylife at brookings.net or visit our website at holylifetabernacle.com. If you're in the Brookings area, please stop by to visit a service. We are located at 241 Mustang Pass, just off Main Avenue South. Our service times are Sundays at 10 a.m. and 6.30 p.m., also Wednesday nights at 7. God bless you.